Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the downloads, for the clicks and everything else, the tweets. We really appreciate it. I'm Steve Mathis with me on the line to talk about the great game of hockey. Former NHLer, lead TSN analyst, the guy you really want to hear from, not not me, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? How are you? I'm good. I'm in Detroit. Got uh, Leafs and Red Wings tonight and uh, was in Dallas the other day for Leafs Dallas. Mm-hmm. So I my first real week of, of work, go home tomorrow and um, and uh, watch watch soccer for the weekend. Oh, nice, nice. Um, so we'll have ESPN's John Butchigras on in a little bit here. And, uh, of course, you worked with him for a long time on NHL Tonight on ESPN. We covered that a, a couple shows ago. So looking forward to talking to Bucci. Yeah, he loves the game. He's... Uh, He's he's got some real strong opinions. He's re- actually he's really passionate about the game of hockey and it. And I would think like it, there were times it surprised me how much he loved it and how much. And he sees like these little details of the game that I don't know where he picked it up. Like wh- why his eye sees that. Mm-hmm. But he's he's like that for baseball and basketball as well. So um, yeah, he'll be a good guy. He'll be. Uh, I'm sure you'll have lots to say. Uh, we have plenty to talk about. We have uh, Ray's game of the day. I have a lot of questions about that. Uh, we got people's tweets, some emails. Also, so last week uh, we were talking about your penalties, and uh, the word I couldn't think of was scrape. Scrape the, the data. Uh, from, yeah, but, from, but I think people understood. No, I think they did. Yeah, so uh, Jeff Loughton, a listener of ours, uh, he actually took the scrape and did the scrape of all your penalties, and you said that uh, you were pretty sure that slashing would be your number one penalty, and we're going to get to that. He, he got some real interesting stats from your penalty minutes in your career, so we will uh, get to that later, but thanks to Jeff for doing that. Well, I don't even know how you would go about doing that. <laughs> Scraping? <laughs> yeah, scraping. I mean, the only one I know is when they scrape the ice. But right. there's a there's a level of of know how that I just don't possess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll get to the your all time penalties in, in a second here. Of course, we couldn't get the first three years, but we'll get to that. Um, you want to explain your Austin Matthews, uh, Connor McDavid, uh, Twitter thing you've got what, going what's off that saying there was there was good intentions <laughs> and then it just ran amok and right. and it ran into a hey listen i liked it cart. i liked it because austin matthews is the best player in the world so uh, that's not I, what i said right. so anyways um <laughs> the the toughest part with getting into a discussion like this is once something starts you can't get your point to all the people because they read it at different times mm-hmm. yep and so it's it's really it's a runaway train. So I was asked in an article by Bruce Arthur, who is an excellent writer in Toronto, uh, about Matthews and McDavid. Now I've never seen Matthews play like this. I've seen him play for three years. I've seen him play a lot of games mm-hmm. and a lot of games live, where literally I'm five feet from the ice. I've never seen him play like this. He looks better 
in almost any facet of the game you can imagine than I've ever seen. So I was asked, is he and McDavid, are they similar? Now, I love Connor McDavid. Yes. I, I think he's amazing. We've t- I'm sure we've talked about him on here. His speed and agility and ability to make plays at this rocket-like pace that he plays at is, is just amazing. I think he, McDavid, and Matthews, and Sidney Crosby are the three best players in the NHL. But I wasn't asked about Sidney Crosby, and so now I'm getting a lot of crap from Pittsburgh fans saying that, oh, how could you not even consider it? Well, I wasn't even asked about him. <laughs> I can't just bring other guys into the conversation. I guess I could, well, you but could, I didn't. But, but yeah, that wasn't the question. Yeah. So anyways, I, maybe I didn't answer it the best way. However, I think McDavid's the best player, and I think Matthews right now is standing right beside his shoulder. I can't believe I, Yeah, I, I think they're different. Which is very clear. Um, I think they're both amazing. And McDavid or Matthews and McDavid should have been in the same, or technically could have been in the same draft class. But McDavid, ah, Matthews was born two days too late, mm-hmm. so that's why he went the next year. So had McDavid and Matthews been in the same class with Jack Eichel, Eichel would have gone third, and McDavid would have gone second. Look, I'm the biggest Leaf homer there is, and I'll, McDavid's a better player. But I don't know why you can't <laughs> like why you can't yeah. make the comparison. Of course you can. So, yeah. Yeah. like some people think Mario Lemieux was the best player ever. Some people think most people think it was Wayne Gretzky. I'll say Wayne Gretzky, and I'll say Wayne or uh, Mario Lemieux was the more talented guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't like I think what happens, and and maybe it's just today and the way the world is, and is that if you say you like something, that means you hate something else. Yes. It, and that, that is, is not yeah. the case. Yep. I, that it, that's not even close to the case in, in this argument. In some it is, mm-hmm. for me, not in this one. No. Not, not even close. I, I'm astounded by what Austin Matthews looks like on the ice. And I can't wait to watch more of Connor McDavid mm-hmm. because I know he will look amazing as well. Like when we when we saw him when the NHL decided to start him uh, over in Europe, which was a week ago. Now he's only played one game, so it's mm-hmm. kind of like that game didn't even happen. Yeah, he made a play on Milan Lucic's goal, where he went down the left wing. He made one little shimmy to the middle and then went around him to the outside. Mm-hmm. It was so subtle, but it was done at such speed. Sammy Vatnin didn't have a chance. Yeah. And he went around the back of the net, passed it out, and Lucic scored. Now, I don't know that Matthews could make that play. But I also don't think that Connor McDavid could score a couple of the goals that Austin Matthews has scored already this year. Because he doesn't shoot the puck as well. Yeah. doesn't mean I don't think McDavid can shoot. I'm saying he can't shoot like Matthews. And I'm saying Matthews can't make that play that McDavid made mm-hmm. to set up uh, Lucic. They're just different, man. Great, uh, great breakdown of Matthew's shot by Jason Bourne on the Athletic the other day, and uh, these these are rifles with no backs, no backswing, and just, I mean, they're unstoppable. Just, yeah, he he delivers the puck with amazing pace. Yeah. Like the the puck is on and off his stick in a heartbeat. And I know there's people that. You know, like, they rag us for being, oh, Toronto media. Man, I live in Vancouver. I don't care if the Leafs win another game. No. It re- I really can, doesn't I can vouch for this. I can vouch for this in some text. <laughs> and so I just, what I find is 
the the games that are most visible to me are the ones that I'm at. Yep. So when I'm asked, nobody's asking me about Artemi Panarin. And if they do, I, I'll tell them what I know about him. Mm-hmm. But the writer from Toronto asked me a question about a player from Toronto. So, yes, the detail of the story is from Toronto. If a writer from Edmonton asked me about Connor McDavid, I would be talking about McDavid and the Oilers because that's where the article's from. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know why that's hard to understand. <laughs> However, it goes out onto Twitter, which, of course, goes anywhere, yeah. and people view it as a Toronto bias. I, I really don't care. I'll t- my favorite players to watch play in, in multiple cities. Yeah. I love watching Drew Doughty. I think he's amazing. I love Eric Carlson. Uh, I, I just told you I like Matthews and I like Mitch Marner. I like Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. I'm loving watching Elias Patterson. In, uh, in Vancouver, the, yeah. the young rookie there. Yeah. I really get a charge out of Brad Marchand and David Pasternak. I think they're, they're amazing players in Boston. I'm hoping to see a lot of Rasmus Dahlin because I think he's going to be mm-hmm. just a, an amazing, amazing player. I love watching Nate McKinnon's power. They're playing all different places. Yeah. And I don't care if any of them win a game or not. I really could care less. The only thing I worry about is I got a game game Thursday, and then I get to go home, and then I'm going to do my radio stuff until next Wednesday, then I'm going to fly to Toronto for Pittsburgh and Toronto. (laughs) Um, Speaking of Matthews and the Leafs, uh, we'll start there. Um, I usually drag you there anyways. Uh, Early on, they are are dangerous in both ends. Uh, But we saw the same thing last year, uh, and Babcock, Mike Babcock, certainly buckled down and got them better. Freddie uh, Anderson started playing better. But right now, it's a hell of a lot of fun. They're going both ways. I don't think they can win like this. Right. I mean, maybe they can. I mean, they've scored five goals a game. You said this last year. You were right. (laughs) And and I just look at the team that eventually won, Mm -hmm. and it was an incredibly high-scoring team that figured out that they had to play at the other end, too. And they also had the capability to do it. Now, I don't know if Toronto has that capability. Maybe they will, and maybe the 82 games will tell us they do. But they're fun to watch. They score a ton. I just don't think you can win mm-hmm. by winning. I don't think you can win the Stanley Cup 5-4 all season long. Yep. But I, I just It's got to get better without the puck. I don't know when it will, but I think most of the league will come down in goal scoring as everything gets a little tighter. Yeah, we, And that's... that's you know, that'll bring down Toronto's goals for. It'll bring down Toronto's goals against, too. And they've, they've got to get it into an acceptable level, though, Steve. I mean, they're, they're not going to win giving up four goals a game. Like, I'm looking right now, and um, so they've given up 17 goals in four games. And, you know, Chicago's given up 14 and three. They're, you know, they're virtually the same. Mm-hmm. So is Vancouver. And so San Jose. I mean, like, there's there's not many teams that have given up that many goals, and it's and it's not been pretty at times either for yeah, them. Yeah, Garrett Sparks struggled. I saw I just saw highlights. I didn't watch the whole game. I was in Michigan on the weekend, but Sparks looked to me to have a couple. Well, he you know. he, he made three or four really good saves, it, yeah. and then he burped up three bad ones. Okay, yeah, so you know, and so that's right. not going to work. You yeah. know, like, but if you if you look like around the league, like I didn't think Carolina would get out of the gate like yeah. they have. They've 
They've won three times already. They've got 17 goals for. Like, I don't think of the Canes as a high-scoring team. They're averaging four goals a game. Now, the Caps are averaging six goals a game. Yeah. Right? They had the 7-6 loss yeah. to Pittsburgh. They got, uh, they got eight. They won 8-5 or something five, or other. Five last night. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, like, I can see where the, um, you know, I can see where their big numbers come from, but they've only given up nine. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, they're... You know they're they're a very very impressive team again, and they should be. I mean, they got virtually the same group back, but there there's goals all around the league. You look, you can look at, and you and you can, you know, we can hope for it, but we know history tells us mm-hmm. that the goals are going to come down a little bit. Last year, I think, actually at this time, the the league had averaged more goals than now, if you can believe that. Really? Huh? Yeah. I, I mean, it definitely yeah, six three to six point three to six point one. Right. But, Nonetheless, a yeah. little bit more. Yeah, it does feel this year exactly like the start last year, which was glorious, by the way. We, we, you and I, we're on the same page. This is great. Yeah, goal, goals are good <laughs> and fun, and we understand you can't win like that. And yes, there'll always be people saying, "Yeah, but there can be great one nothing games." Awesome. Yeah, there's the likelihood of a one nothing game being great. Yep. is far less than a one nothing game being boring. Right. Um, now, you are in Detroit. Uh, you were just in Dallas for the Leafs. You're in Detroit for the Leafs game tonight. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what time it is there, but um, oh, I guess it's like uh, 2 o'clock. I guess if you just add three hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you get a chance to talk to any any Leafs coach today or anybody and say, What's, you know, how's things going? Are you pulling your hair out? Anything happen? No, there? actually, you know what? I didn't talk to any of the Leafs today. Oh, okay. I was uh, mm-hmm. more concerned with the Red Wings room because yep. I haven't seen them yet. And try, you know, talk to Jeff Blaschel. And um, I don't think the Leafs are worried in, in the least. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they're pretty aware that, hey, four goals a game is probably too much to give up. Yep. You uh, know, and they're, they're having fun with the five goals a game. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I, at some point, they're going to have to lock into their play away from the puck and when they don't have it because it's just. It's, it's clearly it's too loose if they're giving up four goals a game. Uh, talk about the Leafs. You talk about the Canes. Warren Fogle. Uh, Unbelievable start for him. <laughs> I don't know much about him. I'm not. I don't gonna, know I'm much about him either. I got to be honest <laughs> right, with you because right. you know I wasn't. I didn't see him last year yeah. in the American League, and and I don't watch the Canes frequently because I don't get many games to do of them. But I'm now interested for a couple reasons. Um, you know, they're scoring a bunch of goals. They're winning some some games, which is cool. And their celebration after they win, where they skate down the ice yeah. and jump into the boards. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I would I would be embarrassed to do it. Okay, but I'm 54, so okay. maybe if I was 26, I'd go. Ah, this is fun. Who okay, cares? all right. It's right. Uh, yeah. Rod Brindamore has got got them rolling for sure. Well, yeah, but that's this wasn't his idea. Um, he just said, yeah, yeah. fine. Yeah. So, uh, so um, some of the canes, some of the canes, Curtis McElhaney. Picked off waivers, of course, off the Leafs. Uh, Scott Darling hurt. Uh, he's two and zero, nine thirty save percentage, two goals against. Like, what's going to happen well, when Darling come? Darling was supposed to come back a couple weeks in, right? So, yeah, what so are they doing? Close, and so the question will be: They've got to put somebody on waivers. Yeah. Who will it be? Will it be Morazic, Peter Morazic, mm-hmm. or will it be McElhaney? And if it's McElhaney, he'll get scooped up right away. And if it's Morazic, I don't know that he would. Now, that creates another problem because Carolina is not going to pay $3 million for a guy to sit in the minors. Yeah. Or $2 million, whatever, whatever he's whatever, making. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not going to pay for that. So I'm, I'm really curious. That's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, McElhaney is playing them into a decision that they probably didn't really think they were going to have. And then 
Pickard started last night for Philly and won. There's a couple. Of yeah, leagues. he was yeah. gave up uh, gave up a crappy one to mm-hmm. um, to Brady Kachuk, a longer one. But uh, he got a win the night after Brian Elliott uh, gave oh up eight. Yeah. At, you know, he got shelled at home. Um, so we talked about the Leafs, talked about the Canes. On the other end of things, uh, the Coyotes shut out in the first two games. Wow. They won last night. Good, good job in a shootout. But uh, that is not a way to start the season. <laughs> that is no, no certainly no not. Bueno. And But, I mean, you, you look at their team and, you know, Alex Galchenyuk is out. And... Um, uh, Christian Dvorak is out, and so two of their three center, top three centers, are out, and so of course it's going to affect their offense. And then they came out, and uh, one of the games they had a whole pile of shots, and John Gibson, I think he made forty saves for the shutout. Yep. You know, so some of it yep. you got to think is going to level up, but for sure. you're right. I mean, who you the just, heck wants to start a season yeah, like that? Just like getting off the wrong foot, right? Like you're just like holy smokes. But Dylan Strom scored last night, so that's good. They need him to come through, and finally. Finally, you know, kind of emerge. Um, yep. Another team is my hometown, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, my wife, not happy right now at all. She uh, she likes patches, as she calls them. She's, always, she's already calling uh, patch ready patches. So she's on board with that. Uh, of course, uh, Paul Sassney out for a couple of weeks. Um, they're, in the games I've watched of them, um, look, they're not scoring that much either, but Flurry was so good for them last year, and he's been just average and uh that happens he was uh, unbelievable to start the year last year well does it not feel like you know just about everything went well for vegas last year and it's going to be impossible for it all to go well again Mm -hmm. that's what it feels like to me um if we can remember back to last year before the season started nobody said oh, look at Vegas, they've got a great team, they're probably going to go deep into the playoffs. My recollection is nobody picked them for a playoff spot, probably because they were an expansion team and maybe didn't really, you know, concern themselves with their roster. But also, it's just so many things would have to go right for them, and they all did. You know, they get, mm-hmm. use five goalies. Like, you can't use five goalies and make the playoffs <laughs> if everybody's hurt, but they did. Yeah. yeah. And so this is, I won't say you know, predictable, but I felt personally like they were, this is going to be a harder year for them. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's going to be hard for Flurry to be as brilliant as he was last year. Absolutely. That's just a start. Now they don't have Nate Schmidt for the first 20 games of the year. He's suspended with that PED mm-hmm. infraction. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's your best defenseman off a defense that's pretty nondescript anyway, and you take your best guy off for 20 games. Mm-hmm. Like how does it not going to hurt? Yep. And then they changed a bunch of their, you know, a few of their forwards. You know, David Perron's gone. James Neal's gone. New players come in. Pacioretty and Stastny, most notably. Stastny's now out. And so all the things that fit have to be refit a little bit. And it takes some time. Yeah. They, uh, we went to the home opener last week. They came out flying. They got an early goal. They hit two posts. I'm like, here we go. Like, you know, seen this before. And uh, the Flyers just started getting better and better. And, uh, yeah, they dominated. They really, second, third period, they were the much better team the Flyers were at the home opener. So, yeah, we'll see. It's early. So, And, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, you can, we can all get all tied up analyzing everything so early into the season. Sure. But, hell, it's four games or three games for most teams. Right? And there's... You know, I'll go back to where we started with McDavid and, and Matthews. 
I'm almost certain Austin Matthews is not going to have seven goals in every four games. I wish he would, though. Yeah, but you know, I mean, the absurdity <laughs> yeah, of sure. you know people thinking about this—it's like you got to let it play out a little bit. Yeah. Like he's going to go four games without a goal. It's going to happen. Okay. And Connor McDavid's going to go three games without a point. And then Matthews is going to score three and four periods, and McDavid's going to get ten points in two games mm-hmm. well, because the, they can. The uh, Tavares Matthews stat for Robotai and Gretzky—you saw that they were the highest scoring teammates uh, this early. Um, tied with Gretzky and Robitaille in like '94 or something. I don't Would know. that have been the? Year? I wonder if that was the year Bernie Nichols got yeah, just seventy goals. <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Rangers zero three. Ducks are, uh, are are also out charging. They're three and zero, three zero and one. Um, yeah. Oh, Any, yeah. Else? Now, so let's start with the Rangers yeah. here. So they're in the midst of turning their roster over. They've got a new coach in David Quinn. They have a $26 million player in Kevin Shattenkirk that they sat out, or they're going to sit they're out. They're going to sit out, yes, amazing. You know, so they're they're turning the whole ball over. And it's I, I don't know if if we all have a grasp on how difficult it is to rebuild. And so y- you can rebuild. That's great. It's a great thing to say. Remember they sent that letter out to their season yep. ticket holders last yep. year. But you you have to draft. You have to draft the right people, and they have to mature. And it has to happen fast. They're 18 years old. It's not going to happen fast. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have then you have players that you'd like to move on, but they've got a couple years on their contract still, so you've got to work your way through that. A rebuild's a half a dozen years. And I'll give you a perfect example. Could you imagine Toronto without Austin Matthews? They're one of the best teams in the league. Take Matthews away from that team. They're not one of the best teams in the well, league. Well, and even does Tavares go there if there's no Matthews, right? But, like, I mean, yeah, not yeah, even yeah. to get into that. Right, right. So, yep, yep. whatever you think the Edmonton Oilers are, take Connor McDavid away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know, you unless you have the high-end guy, a rebuild can only go so fast. And it doesn't always work. And it doesn't, doesn't always work. No, no, not at all. Not everybody can be Chicago and Pittsburgh. Yeah, and then how's Chicago looking right now? Yep. Like, they're they're in the midst of this whole rebuild thing, and um, it's not going to go fast, even with Kane and Taves mm-hmm. and Keith. Yep. It's just not. They're not the players they once were, and that's the same for everybody that's 30, but they also don't have the supporting cast that they used to have. It takes time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to bring in Bucci? Yeah, let's bring him in. He's All sitting right. in a parking lot. Let's get him in. <laughs> All right. Everybody, here is ESPN's John Bucci-Goss. And now, as promised on the uh, Ray Ferraro podcast, uh, our first guest of the new season, and it's a guy that, uh, Ray, you know well, and uh, he broke you in at NHL Tonight back in the day, and it's uh, fantastic to have him on the show. He's been on before. From ESPN, John Bucci-Goss. What's up, John? How are you, man? Good to be here. Love talking to hockey. Well, there's, uh, we're finally into it, which is great. And then you look up and you go, oh, my gosh, there's 77 games left. It's not <laughs> like it's zipping along. So what have, uh, what's jumped out at you early, Booch? Uh, all the goals. Um, all the goals being scored, the exciting offense, the stars being stars, which certainly is always the biggest governor on the NHL really exploding, I think, mainstream, as NBA stars will always these stars they'll always perform every night when you go see them they very rarely have a bad game lebron never has a bad game 
other superstars, the, the next level, the one B level, Ray. They um they you know, they'll have an off night every now and then. NFL quarterbacks are always gonna pretty much perform. They'll have a stinker occasionally on the road, but so it's just nice to see when you go buy an expensive ticket like hockey is, that you know, so far you're seeing Austin Matthews and John Tavares and Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov, the most talented players in the league, uh, performing, raising their arms up in the air in jubilation, and the fans getting up off their seats more and screaming. I've always said there's, you know, some people will go to their first game, pay 150 bucks, and they might not stand up the entire game. There might be a 0-0 scoreless tie or the other team wins one nothing, and that's not going to get the endorphins going, the adrenaline going, and then the, the dopamine flowing, and then it gets in your brain brain and you remember it and you can't wait to get back again and so that's what i love it whether it's whether it's a drop in goaltending whether the golden era of goaltending is uh maybe a bit at the end we don't have these legends after legends ha uh wah hashik brodor like all those guys maybe that's why offense was down because those goalies were so awesome and now we kind of have a, a middling of goaltending and also the speed of the game i think teams are everyone's trying to play fast but if you don't have skill you will get run out of the gym playing fast like we see it in basketball that the the less talented teams have to play slower princeton when they get to the ncaa basketball tournament has to play slower they can't beat ucla playing fast so what everyone is so fast fast i want to play fast it becomes like this uh instinct this tick in their brain we want to play fast we're going to play fast well if you don't have the players to do that you're getting run out of the barn so we'll see if there's an adjustment in that whole we got to play fast philosophy or teams will suck it up to tank for Jack Hughes, and they're just going to keep doing it, and they're going to try to get better players while playing fast. So uh, to me, that, that, that's, the, that's the narrative of the league right now. I can't believe the, the skill that the game is played at and the creativity that the players have. Now, the, we, we certainly didn't have. You know, we played a, a rather simplistic game compared to what's, what's played today. Now, Boots, you're, you're big into college hockey. You, have, you know, you promote it a lot. You watch it a lot. Is some of this maybe the influence of college players coming to the National Hockey League with a skill development base that other players just didn't have? Yeah, not only the base, Ray, but also the philosophy, the entire philosophy of developing skill, maybe even more so than team building. Now, eventually you will team build, and that is part of every experience, but hockey is a collection of skill, just like football was always a collection of skill. The offensive linemen didn't train like or with uh, the wide receivers or the running backs, they all have their own skill set. They were trained to pass block. Uh, you know, you, you, that's what's cool about working at ESPN. You'll, you'll see Mark Slareth. You'll see Darren Woodson. You'll see Teddy Bruschi. And they are all like, you know, they're scientists, maniacal scientists about their position. Why are your shoulders that way? Your shoulders should be this way. Get your hands in. Your elbows are too far outside. Well, now I think hockey, like you said, I think your era was the first era that got in the gym, started working out, started deadlifting, started squatting, getting big, getting strong, getting quick. You were kind of on just as your career was coming down to an end your last 10 years or so. But it wasn't quite skill. It was more brute strength and speed first. And then it was just a track meet where no one could play. Now we're getting a track meet where people can play. Like these last five years or so, it's five to ten years, the league was going speed even college, but no one could do anything with that speed. They're just running through the end boards and not really pl- making plays. Now you got Mitch Marner and these incredible players making incredible plays at high rate speed, not the slow, the slow player 
who in the in the past was an amazing creative player, but maybe not the fastest. He didn't often have that combination. Of course, McDavid is the absolute supreme model of that high speed, high skill. Like he he's the he's the perfect force of that, and everyone else obviously aspires to that. But yes, it's that whole collective shift that began in the mid late nineties with training, and then turned into skill. And now we're we're coming. And there's more. I mean, every twelve and thirteen year old kid can go behind the net and do that lacrosse move. Like we're going to start seeing goals that that lacrosse move in the NHL where they scoot the ladle the puck up and stuff it in the upper corner. We're going to start seeing that in the NHL here in the coming years. And the goals we're going to see are going to be so just amazing, like you said, uh, in these next five to ten years compared to what we saw. Now you mentioned one of the guys you mentioned you when you were naming some guys with the high skill. I think is probably as underrated a player in the league is Evgeny Kuznetsov in in Washington. I just I think he's amazing. Last year in the finals he was he's just so good. It just so many different things. I'm looking at Washington and I'm wondering can they repeat? Can they be a team that gets even back into that final four again? They're out of the gate. They've scored 18 goals in 3 games. They've given up nine, including a bucket load to Pittsburgh in the seven-six loss. Like, can they can they repeat? Can they be in that final four again? I think they can because one, they appear they appear liberated and hungry, which is important, especially Ovechkin. He's completely liberated now. The pressure of the world is off his shoulder. We saw it with the Red Sox in 04 when they finally won their World Series. They've become a whole different franchise. They won two more World Series. They might win again this year. He, he is so liberated and so hungry. Then you still have you have guys like Kuznetsov, who's 26 years old. He's a, he's a point-a-player guy. I think he can be top five, top ten scorer this year. Um, I talked with other assistant coach Reed Cashman. He was a former college hockey assistant at Quinnipiac. Now he's running the D in Washington. Um, a quick, you know, three years ago he's a Quinnipiac on, on the bench as an assistant coach. Now he's, a, he's an assistant coach with the Capitals. That's, that's what's great about life and great about you know North America and those opportunities that we have. How your life can change so fast in three years. He, he said he's never seen a mind like Kuznetsov. Um, you know, people over. I mean, they know he's good, and people, you know, people when they look at Russians, they first, I think they first look at talent, but certainly Datsuk, we saw the brain power, the IQ, but with Kuznetsov, because you know, I think they, they, they're still kind of branded as lethargic, not caring as much as other people, athletes, and that might have been true 20 years ago, but that's obviously, that's all changed now, you know, what the Stanley Cup means, it is the preeminent trophy in all of hockey now, it's the holy grail, we saw how Holvechkin acted like that, can you imagine a Russian acting that way at win the Cup 20 five years ago. I would have never they thought have it. <laughs> never cared that much. They weren't paid during the playoffs. After the regular season, they wanted to go home. Uh, gold medals and world championships are where it's at. But now it's the trophy. And you look at Kuznetsov, like I, like I said, the way he thinks the game at 6'2", 200 pounds, he's, you know, he was a point a guy a point a game guy last year, I think will be at least this year will be that maybe even point and a half. He could approach uh, mid nineties to a hundred, and uh, just an amazing, amazing talent who's uh, will, will, that Ovechkin will benefit in his thirties, much like we see Bergeron benefiting from playing with Pasternak and Marchand. You're so lucky when you're that age, you hit thirty, but then you have these wingmen who can do so much. It, it really enables you to produce really more than you would if you aged with your teammates like Bird, McHale, and Parrish did, like in basketball. They're not going to be able to carry them. You know, Len Bias was supposed to be right. that guy who would have given Bird five more years. Well, that's what these guys are doing for Ovechkin, doing for Bergeron. They're so blessed to be able to play with guys that age and that good for their 30s because it'll, it'll give them numbers they never would have gotten otherwise.
Now, Booch, this morning on, uh, so today is Thursday, uh, this morning, um, this article came out in Toronto. I did did this article with Bruce Arthur, who's a fabulous writer, about where Austin Matthews has taken his game. So he's played four games. He's got two goals, one goal, two goals, and two goals. I used to do this in Bantam. <laughs> and he, he does it. It looks so easy right now for him. So, of course, I stepped into it a little bit and misworded a tweet, which set off a wildfire of, <laughs> of whatever proportion. Um, when you look at McDavid and you look at Matthews, what what do you see? You because I got for people that maybe don't know John's love for the game. Like I would say, basketball, golf, and hockey are so far at the forefront of his brain. But you love hockey. You've got a deep love for it. When I watch McDavid, I see speed and agility and creativity like nobody else. With Matthews, I see a linebacker on skates. He's a monster who can shoot the puck like very few people have ever shot it. That's what I see. I think they're two of the three very best players in the game. But I'm curious what you got. Yeah, and I think what also is that they're very, very different players. Uh, You know, McDavid, because of his speed, I think sometimes people forget his incredible creativity and his mind. And to me, that's really his greatest talent is what he sees at high speed. Um, you know, he's really a pass-first guy. He wants to set people up with his speed, break down the defense like a point guard. So if you were play, if you were a point guard in basketball, he wouldn't be Allen Iverson. He'd be more Steve Nash. They'd probably beg him, can, can you shoot a little bit more? You're a really good shooter. You know, and, and, and McDavid just, he, he does it. He shoots. He has shot more as he's gotten older, which is important. You know, his first year in the league, he was getting two and a half shots a game. And last year, he got up to three and a half shots a game. That's why he scored 41 goals. It's very important. It's very, it's very simple. If you want to score more goals, shoot more. That's why Alex Ovechkin scores a lot of goals because he shoots a lot. Same with basketball. So McDavid's a 41 goal scorer last year because he had three, you know, three and a half shots a game. I still think he's a pass first guy who obviously will always have more assists than goals. Connor McDavid has monkey arms and giant, big, strong hands. He's like a, he's a physical. He's, Matthews, I'm sorry, Austin Matthews. Yeah. Says he, he's got these long, long monkey arms and big, strong hands. He just uh, he's got a great shot. So he's always going to have more goals and assists because of that shot. And it kind of helps who he plays with too. That, that that could change who he plays with over his career if he changes teams or his teammates uh, change teams. But uh, to me, that's the biggest difference. Um, McDave, uh, you know, Matthews to me appears to be a maniacal competitor that whose fire is, is runs really, really hot. Now, you know, that, that, that doesn't mean he cares more than McDavid. McDavid runs a little bit differently. He, he's a, you know, he's a car that those RPMs kind of stay right at that same level. That's how he likes to operate. He feels like he can see the game better that way. Cause again, like I said, he's setting people up. He needs great, you know, great teammates, and he doesn't have that like Matthews has in early in his career. But uh, to me, that's the big difference. You know, in simple terms, pass first, shoot first. Uh, one guy is a sports car, Matthews, who floors it on occasion with his emotion. McDavid likes to keep it at the same RPM because he wants to think clearly because that's how he approaches the game. McDavid approaches it maybe more American or more whatever in terms of just – adrenaline and he likes to floor it sometimes and then and that's how he's going to have to you know look at his game to make sure he stays consistent and stays productive steve and i were talking about this off uh, just before we started so i send out these these couple of tweets and every once in a while i'm reminded 
how serious people take sports. <laughs> now, I didn't send this out carefree. I just misworded it because I'm an idiot, and I got it wrong. And I did, so I had to correct it, and I corrected it a couple times. I don't know if it matters, <laughs> you know, yeah. worth a, the, you know, anything. But anyway, you you guys are on every night. You go through sports. I you know I read. <laughs> I read through Twitter. Scott Van Pelt just gets hammered for things that he says. I just love it. It cracks me up because I know him a little bit, and he's really funny. But does it ever take you by surprise how seriously people take their sports? Well, it does now for us because, you know, once you get involved in media, especially national media like you and you and I, we have to we have to lose some of the pom poms. So some people don't. We know we work with people in the national media who keep the pom poms and they and they still root hard for their teams. And uh, and, and my fandom is kind of down to the Red Sox and the Steelers, where I, I I do have a bit of an emotional response as I watch. Usually it's more screaming and joy, like yes, mm-hmm. like that. Not I don't yell. I don't really complain at referees. I don't get really a negative. It's really just more a little positive reaction. Occasionally frustrated at somebody on the team who might not perform but it's really down to those two certainly not in hockey i was a huge bruins fan as a kid but i I just don't watch the guy i don't think that's my job i always looked at myself as a national broadcaster even when i was a little kid if my favorite team was on my local channel and my favorite team was on the national at the same time i always watched the national i wanted to see their graphics their music listen to their announcers that's kind of of how i'm wired but so but you know so we have to sometimes remember that these you know that, that, that these sports fans are myopic they focus on their team because they have a job and they have kids and and they they just really have only have time at that one team, and, and, and it's where their focus is because they, they can't do what we do. They're not afforded that that luxury. We can look at the entire league. So, and you know, and that adrenaline and that excitement they have, and sometimes obviously it, it, it goes in the negative side, and they become unreasonable. But in the end, that fuel has enabled us to have this job that we love, and that's why professional sports is so big. It starts with the passion of the fan. There's nothing without the passion of the fan. It fuels everything from the marketing and the television contracts and, and the uniforms and the merchandise. It all starts with each individual fan's passion for their team. And so that's why I forgive people when they go that direction. I don't tend to battle back and forth like that because I'm grateful that there's people who feel that way about sports because it's enabled me to do uh, what I do for my life and and all the blessings it's given to me. Yeah, well said, John. Um, Ray, if only the players in the league in the grind of an 82-game season took it as serious as the fans on Twitter, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) instead of the practical jokes and everything else that goes on in the grind to grind of an NHL. Well, it's it, it's well put. Like, you know, I'm a Red Sox guy, and the other night I, I left the rink in Dallas, and it's 4-1, it's in the ninth, and there's nothing going on, and Kimbrel's in, and it's over. By the time I walk back to the hotel, I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? Right. Right. <laughs> and so, like, I felt that surge of, throw a strike, would you? Don't, don't hit him. Right? Like, I, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I, but I'm, I'm still sometimes taken aback by by how much it means like when um you know you see a football crowd and they're and they're in a frenzy or you know like we're in rinks and you see the same thing or i I don't know it just it catches me by surprise and i just i just wondered if like if you if you guys see it you know by people writing into you um as you do your your casts at night do you do you see the same thing 
Oh yeah, for sure. Like, like you said, um, you know, whether I send a tweet out about the Capitals or the Red Wings or, or the Bruins or comment on a player and, you know, I like commenting on all players and just, in, you know, kind of espouse the, the, the joy of the game and the amazing athletes in the game and, and those things. And sometimes if you say something nice about a player, obviously the fan who's a rival of that team will take it you know, it won't take it the same way. But you know, again, I, yeah. I've taken that into consideration. I, I let it go. I understand there's going to be a visceral reaction. People like being belong, belonging to groups, to tribes, to fraternities, to clubs. They always have uh, through the existence of time on earth. Groups have come together and they like that collective, that connection between people. It's how we're wired as humans. We need other humans. And sports <laughs> is a way to connect people. A lot of, and that's what it does more than anything. That's why we wear the same jerseys when we go to the game. We give, we give a high five to the stranger next to us. Um, you know, we're more comfortable doing that than those of us who are Catholic, given the sign of peace of the person next to us in the pew. You know, <laughs> that doesn't work in a sporting that, event, does it? I, I, I wonder if that dude washed his hand. But not, but in, in, as a sporting event, we'll give him a high five, we'll kiss <laughs> him, we'll, yeah, where to go? Yeah, we like that. that we like that connection. The, like I said, the, it all starts with dopamine in your brain. What makes you happy? What excites you? And being the crowd and the sport that we played as a kid, no, no longer play at that level. The brand. Uh, the team that we remember as a kid that we went to games with our dad. And so that becomes nostalgic for, for, for young adults. And then of course they have kids. And so it's just, it perpetuates. And it, like I said, it becomes very emotional many ways. And, uh, and that's what, and, and when any time, let's face it, good things and bad ha- things usually happen out of emotion. You know, a lot of bad things happen. The worst things you can think of in, in life usually starts with emotion. And so it's just channeling that and obviously checking yourself once in a while and just realize, okay, but, uh, you know, for sports, there's so much emotion. So there's going to be yeah. some awesome things, great things. And there's going to be some obviously fights and football parking lots and, and, and hockey rinks and stuff like that too. Uh, one more for me from John, for John Butchigrass from ESPN. Uh, John, as a Canadian living down here in the U.S., um, uh, I got signed up for ESPN Plus mostly uh, a little while ago to watch the CFL games. Uh, Ray, I know you're a big CFL fan. You're just you're, you're huge, but um, <laughs> uh, for me, we saw ESPN dip its toe into the water for the World Cup a couple of years ago, and uh, but now on this ESPN Plus, you're going to be part of this in the crease show. Uh, Linda Cohn, Barry Melrose, of course. Uh, ESPN's carrying some games on there. A weekly, like I said, a nightly hockey show maybe john we can get chicken parm back in at some point oh that'd be great yeah it's really fun how what espn plus obviously as the world has changed to more streaming Mm -hmm. and the whole the whole old motto of cable is kind of dying uh that espn certainly on the forefront um, in terms of all the technology we have to stream our show in the crease and like i said I i wake up in the morning have my and grab my phone and I'll pop it on on ESPN Plus and watch it in the crease. It's anywhere from seven to twelve minutes. It's commercial free. I get all the highlights. It's mm-hmm. like really cool. It's, it brings me back to NHL tonight. We have a game a night tonight. It's uh, Jets and Predators. Um, and, and hopefully in the future here, when the TV deal is up next time, hopefully ESPN can be a part of that package. We can start showing games on television and our own broadcast on mm-hmm. ESPN Plus, and Ray can come back in the fold. And obviously, doing games with him would be a dream come true for me in the future. And so I hope that's where ESPN relationship with hockey is going it's obviously growing with our you know with our bam tech 
uh, investment we made a few years ago uh, and being involved with the NHL and seeing Gary Bettman on a regular basis on the same board there. So I'm hoping that, yeah, yeah the, the, the future of NHL and ESPN continues to grow as it, as it has. As you mentioned, it began with the World Cup, and it's only increased uh, with the growth of ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, people check it out if you, if you want. Anything else, Ray, for John? No, I think we got to let him go. Booch is kind enough to park his car in the grocery store parking lot. He's just worked out, and he's hungry. You got to go get lunch. I need some meat, need a steak. Stop and shop. Here I come. You really protein. and and I I will say this. I don't know. You know, people wouldn't know this about you, but John is a very clinical eater. You don't <laughs> mix things on the plate. No, nah, that's one plate, one at a time. Uh, yeah, one one thing at a time. And I'm I'm, I'm pretty much full full bore carnivore these days. That's my latest thing. It's very simple. So what do you have? Like I get a steak with a side of pork chop? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, steak <laughs> with steak or steak with bacon, steak with sausage. So, yeah, it's very simple. No veggies, one fruit, a lot of meat. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I haven't read that diet out in a new book or a new fad, but I'll be looking for uh, it. I'll get it out. I'll get it out. No more gas, Ray. No more gas. It's beautiful. Oh, well, that's good news for everyone. <laughs> don't need fiber. You don't need fiber. It's a oh. misnomer, people. You'll be happy. <laughs> oh, great, uh, great, to f- great stuff. Thanks, uh, John, for joining the show. As always, uh, like to have you on. And uh, thanks for everything, man. Great stuff on on the website and uh, and on ESPN. You Anytime. Thanks, See you, boys. Talk to you soon. See you, Parm. Good stuff from Bucci. You guys go way back, you and him. Uh, you've told us a few of the stories over the years. And, uh, yeah, he, good buddy. Hell of a golfer. Um, we're uh, we're off to Cabot Links next uh, next year in the Maritimes. Mm-hmm. We've never been there, so we're looking forward to that. And, um, yeah, loves us, loves him some hockey. And yeah. uh, I hope ESPN gets it back. He, uh, he would, he'll he be a big part of that, well, and he loves it. The World Cup was there, and I brought up that ESPN Plus thing. Maybe they're, maybe they're looking at it, right? Maybe. Oh, uh, I think yeah. they are. It's just, you know, yeah. who knows what the business of it all is. Yeah. Can it all work? Well, maybe they'll come in, they'll get it back, and they'll wave some big dollars in your face. you got to move to Bristol, though. Yeah, well, I'm not moving to Bristol. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Mainly because if I move to Bristol, I'm certain my wife's not, so yes, that's probably right. not what's Vancouver, going on. Bristol, Vancouver, Bristol. Um, but, uh, yeah, good stuff from, from Bucci for sure. All right, we've got a few more things to talk about here. Uh, any update at all for you and William Nylander deal, right? Uh, unfortunately, you predicted this will go into the season, and we have the December 1st date. Is there anything new, anything that you want to talk about or cover? That, that's no, there's, there's nothing. I mean, okay. You know, there's it, it's yep. public radio silence. I I assume they're checking in with each other. Hey, has anybody got to change your mind? <laughs> you know, I mean, what happens? Uh, because you, unless that happens, yeah. right? There's nothing to talk about. And as much as you know, like for the fans are listening, and, and you know, what happens? Like, is this every day? Hey, what's new? Nothing. Or or is this a once a week? There two. Someone's reaching out. What do you think happens? Well, you know, I I think it's probably different. I mean, this will maybe sound like a little bit of a a couple, but I think it's different for everybody because okay. if you're closer, you're in more frequent contact. Mm-hmm. Like if I call you and say, Steve, although the answer would be yes. If I say, Steve, I'm offering you six million dollars, you'd go yes, yes, definitely and be finished. Yeah, yeah. But if I offer you six million and you say no, I want eight million, and I say, well, I can only pay you six, and you say I want eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what else is there to talk about? Yep. Yep. 
So you just, if you're Dubis, you hope that the player misses his buddies, he misses playing. He Yeah, and so you, yep. you wait a little bit of time, you call yep. back, you check. You certainly want to keep the avenues of communication open, yep. for sure. Um, and, and they have to feel like, you know, maybe there's another way that we can get this done. Maybe it's a four-year contract, maybe. But see, what what neither side, well, Nylander would be fine with this, is if you take a contract that takes you right to unrestricted free agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the He's okay with that. that. Yeah, yeah. Because it would be at a, certainly an elevated salary. Yep. And the Leafs don't want to get into that. So I, I don't if Nylander wants eight million, I think he's asking he's asking too much. For sure. It's I think a hard yeah. ceiling for him has to be David Pasternak's contract. Yeah. Because I don't think he's as good as Pasternak right now. Yeah. But he hasn't done what Pasternak's done. He doesn't score goals like Pasternak's done. I, I so I don't I see him, his dollar value under Pasternak. But then their side is saying we're better than Leon Dreisaitl. Correct. So you draw, and, and then I would say <laughs> Leon Dreisaitl's a centerman. Yep. Okay. And that's a perfectly good point. And then he would say something else. But, you know, like, yeah, so you yeah, can see right. where the tennis ball yeah. gets batted back and forth. Yeah. They would say Dreisaitl doesn't always play center. Sometimes he's, he's been a winger at times. And I would say sometimes you don't, you don't <laughs> commit to the game. <laughs> And I would say, well, my dad told me to hold out for my yeah. eight mil. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I guess the whole point is, you know, the player thinks he's worth a certain amount. The team yep. thinks he's worth a certain amount. Yep. The team has to think about fitting in 22 other players. Yep. The player's not necessarily thinking about that. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you touched on Brady Kachuk. Uh, Senators scored uh, last night. I watched a little bit of that game. Well, I was actually exercising, right, while I was watching that. I swear, Were you? Good yeah, for you. I swear to God. Um, but um, Did you kick all the clothes off the treadmill? Yeah, exactly, right? Attaboy, uh, attaboy. The elliptical. I like that for you, Steve. Good for you. Okay, good. Um, anyways, I was watching it, and he is a pain in the ass like his brother and like his dad so far from the game. I'm just okay, like, so he is I back. Okay, so I told... <laughs> I was told before Matthew came to Calgary, yep. I had mentioned that, um, man, he's a pain in the ass. I watched him at the junior tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's really yep. good, but, man, he drives everybody crazy. Right. I said he's just like his dad. Mm-hmm. And I was told, no, wait till you see his brother. <laughs> well, so, his brother yeah. is his dad. Right. Yeah, I and see so it. Yeah. I watched last night too, and I mean, he's two games into his career, and you can just see he just grates everybody. Yes, yes, absolutely. But he's a good player. He's got really good hands. He's a good passer. Now, I think Ottawa got a really good player in in Brady Kachuk. I still think they should have yep. let the draft pick go. Yeah, yeah. I, but I, yeah, now that yeah. they've got him, you yeah. can't do anything else. You know, it's done. This. I mean. He stays it's water right? under the bridge. You're good. They're going to give away their first round pick to Colorado this year, but he's a good player. He, he's a creative passer, and he will score some goals. No chance. Sure. He, no chance. He's going back to junior, right? Oh no. Okay. All right. Yeah. There's. I heard some. I mean, I, I, I can't. Right. I can't see it. Uh, yeah, I can't either. All right. Let's get into uh, Jeff Loughton's, uh penalty analysis of Ray Ferraro's career. If you listened last week, you heard Ray, uh, we talked about Ray's game of the day, and that's coming up also. Uh, Ray said that you said your penalties would be, your biggest penalties would be slashing. and uh, uh, That would be my thought, yep. yeah. And so there's three seasons that are missing in the uh, in the game log. So we don't have three seasons of your career, but we have a big enough sample size. Uh, I would think nothing would really change that much. So 
Uh, slashing is actually third most penalties behind roughing and tripping. Roughing and tripping are tied. 72 slashing minors, 12% of your all-time penalty minutes. So, okay, so let's, the roughing... That's that's all like in a little scrum. Yeah, probably, it could be anything, right? Yep. Yeah. So yep. you're, who knows? I'm chirping at somebody or something or other, and yep. off you go. I'm surprised at that, but tripping? anyway, tripping, tripping. Uh, they, defensively, I'm probably out of position. <laughs> okay, all right. So and you're, you're in a little panic, and whoops, you've yeah. tripped somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So 72 slashing penalties, uh-huh. and you miss the first three years. Yep. Right. So that's 15 years, just shy of five slashing penalties a year. Yeah. Eh, eh. It's not bad. You thought it would be more, though, probably. I did. I did. <laughs> um, all right. So here's other, some interesting other stats for your penalties over your career. 15 years of uh, six fighting majors, one instigator, Rob Brown. <laughs> way, to, way, to, way to do it, Ray. Way to go after the, the tough that guys. That was in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that, that was in that was in Pittsburgh at the old igloo. For sure. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, an instigator. Love it. Uh, but six fighting penalties. I'm telling you, they must have been. I, I'm trying to remember them. I know Paul Gillis was a couple from um, from Quebec. Quebec. Yeah, yeah. Um, Steve Thomas, the one I've told you about, where he just beat me to a pulp. <laughs> so that's four of them. Right. Ken Lindsman, that's five. I don't know. I don't remember the other one. It okay. must have been a must have been a toe to toe boat. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. And I like how you went after Rob Brown too. You know, I had Rob Brown on, on the show when the uh, the first year we did the pod. He's, he's quite a guy. He's pretty pretty funny guy. Oh yeah, he's an entertaining guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, his story about um, not being able to get the fiftieth. He was 49, stuck at 49 with an empty net. Not only that, Steve. If I'm <laughs> correct, he had 49 assists as well. Yeah, I don't remember he had that. 98 right. points. <laughs> right. Uh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. And uh, I think it was uh, Ubriaco, Gene Ubriaco, uh, wouldn't yep. put him on for the empty net, and all the players were like, come on, put him on. It's the last game. And uh, could, couldn't, couldn't oh, be There's on. old school grumpiness right there. Okay, so a few more penalties. Uh, you got a closing your hand on the puck. Yeah. Uh, you got to delay a game. You got some kneeing in there. But you never got uh, a call for butt ending, kicking. No. Attempt to injure. Biting. Playing with a broken stick, you never got one of those, although they never called that back in the day. No. Uh, clipping, embellishment, headbutting, illegal equipment, third man in. You never got a third man in penalty. No, I wasn't getting in there. <laughs> those guys are fighting. I'm not getting in there. Uh, so you never got any of that. You twice were assessed a five-minute major and a game misconduct for spearing, uh, which you've talked about on this show, and you really regret it. Uh, one, the one I don't remember the second one. Okay. The first one I remember in Long Island. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, uh, October 27, 1998, at the uh, New York Islanders. So you would have been Yeah, on... I missed a breakaway. The guy came to hit me, and I speared him. It, it, <laughs> it wasn't good. Then December 2nd, at Montreal, uh, 89. So this would have been Islanders. Islanders uh, probably at... one of those Canadian guys deserved it, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I didn't know that one. I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, yeah. You got two uh, five-minute major and game misconduct for spearing. Oh. When was that in the game? Do you know? No, I can look it up, though. We can, we can yeah, because I'm, I'm curious if it would have been near the end of a game we were losing. That kind of seems to be the the general the general playbook. All right, I just paused the show, Ray, but we're back now. And I looked it up. Uh, five twelve of the first in Montreal on a Saturday night. Hartford at Montreal. Five twelve of the first spearing and game misconduct. That doesn't sound like me early in the game. What was I thinking? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't. Yeah. You know what's funny? I've totally erased that from my brain. Right, right. You've talked about the other spearing, and you were 
It was one, maybe yeah, you that said, one I felt bad. Yeah. He had nothing to do with it. He yep. just happened to be the next guy standing there after I missed a breakaway. Okay, so here's a good here's a good fact here. Uh, here's a couple real good ones. Uh, December tenth, ninety nine at San Jose. So ninety nine, you would have been. Uh, Oh, that's all Thrasherville. Yeah, that's Thrasherville. Three separate penalties. Four-minute high sticking, two-minute illegal substitution, two-minute interference. So you jumped off the bench and high sticked the dude while interfering well, no, with I'm him? I'm guessing I, the illegal – what were – I bet you the illegal substitution would have been I came out of the penalty box and played the puck while I was half in and half out. Okay. You got interference, so that would have been... Yeah, yeah, and then I I must have lifted somebody's stick and hit him in the face. (laughs) All right. That's a bad day right there. But thankfully, you're on the thrasher, so nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. On the way to one of our 60 defeats that year. Okay, so in 1996, this would have been Kings, you took two holding the stick penalties in less than five minutes. (laughs) Only get the get the memo, pal. Holy! Can you imagine the coach? Like, what are you doing, Ferraro? Well, and the thing was, was it, it was late in the year in L.A. I had been traded there, mm-hmm. you know, from the Rangers. So um, I probably wasn't I probably wasn't feeling too uh, too comfortable right. when I went back to the bench no, again. Oh no, no! Sorry, fellas. I don't really know you guys, but I put us shorthanded twice in less, five minutes. Less than five minutes. Uh, 95 against San Jose. You took a goalie interference penalty with 19 seconds left in a 5-3 game. So just charging the net, probably. Yeah, that that makes sense. And, and if you're the goalies, you know, you know uh, what I think of them. Yeah, you only got uh, only one time you got a penalty minute in overtime. You and Michelle Petit offsetting roughing in 89. Okay. Uh, um, in 1998 at Buffalo, 1988, sorry, at Buffalo, so hard for days, uh, fighting issues mis- issued to Creighton, Adam Creighton, Peterson, Everson, and Hartman. Ray didn't get a fighting major, but did get a game misconduct. So probably mouthing off to the ref about those that fight that was going on. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I, I, I can't imagine, because w- if Dean Everson was on the ice, I probably wasn't. Oh, okay, so you were on the bench maybe? How do you get kicked out from the bench? I don't know. He must have said something Golly. really bad. <laughs> so no wonder guys said I gave him a headache. Yeah, I'm giving me a headache just listening to it. Yeah, there Unless you go. Unless I jumped into the fight or something. but I no, I don't know. Like what was I doing? Yeah. I don't even know. Um, your career high in penalty minutes, it, it, without the three years counted in, was ninety six, ninety seven. That's a particular year. Eighteen percent of your pas- your penalties were slashing. So in your career high year of penalty minutes, the highest penalties you got were slashing. That was my first full year in L.A. 96, 97, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of slashing penalties. <laughs> Jeez. Good stuff what from What have there, like 100 and, 109 minutes or something? 112, yeah. Oh, uh, good yeah. stuff by Jeff, though. Thank you for doing that. That is awesome. Thank yeah. you, Jeff. Yeah. That's really cool to... To kind of think about, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like the two holding the stick in five minutes. I actually laughed out loud when I I read it. Yeah, that is great. That's just bad hockey. <laughs> like right you just there. see the announcers going at Ferraro again, again <laughs> holding the stick. Uh, all right, so let's get into before we get into the Twitter questions of the uh, of the day. Let's get into Ray Ferraro's game of the day. This is something we started last week. I'm going to try to uh, uh, pick a game uh, on a particular day that we record the pod and uh, talk about. How you did in all your years? It's uh, I wrote down a bunch of stuff the other day. So October eleventh, nineteen ninety five, 
You are with the Rangers. You are their big free agent signee. October 11th, so the season would have just started. You uh, you had a good game. You had a really good game. Uh, you had a 6-4 win. Rangers won 6-4 uh, against the Jets. Two goals, two assists. First star of the game. Now, that was our second game of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had lost the first one, and uh, we won our second. And then after the game, we got on the bus and bust over to Long Island because we played the Islanders the next night. And Everybody was hooting and hollering in the, you know, in the room. We were happy, and um, I always remember Mark Messier didn't say anything. And um, we got into the elevator in the Long Island Marriott, and we were going up. And right when he got out of on his floor, uh, he said, uh, "That's the way it should be. Go to work tomorrow." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." Uh. So, you know, it wasn't just me. It was like a whole, you know, right, four yeah, or five was, guys. Yeah, in the, yeah. But my point, or I guess the point I'm making was, you know, I was so pumped up about that win, yeah. and they were saying, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, like we're supposed to be better like that. You played on a line with Robitaille and Kovalev. Yeah, there were, uh, there were some nights yeah. that um, when Al had the puck, all you had to do was find yourself open, mm-hmm. and um, and he would find you. Alex was a, as talented a player as, as I ever played with. Now, here's the odd thing about that day. Two goals, two assists, first star, six shots on net, 6-4 win. Do I know what your plus-minus was? Tell me I had to be a plus player. <laughs> you were zero. You were zero on the night. Well, so that's obviously a whole bunch of power play points. Uh, yeah, you got a – well, one of them was for sure. Uh, your first goal was not a power play. Your second goal was not a power play. Oh, no, only one power play point on the night. I was on for three goals against. Yeah, two? yeah. Or two goals against. Yeah, two, two goals. four, two against. Oh yeah. There you go. It's a win. <laughs> there we go, boys. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's funny. You remember uh, that though? I about, saw that today, yeah. and I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's kind of nice. I remember that one. Oh, what do you what do you mean you saw it today? I saw it on a tweet. Oh, shit. Okay, I thought I was dropping some. No, but it's nice. It's okay. nice to see it, you know. And I'm like. Because although it would be funny to get on this day in history, uh, Dum Dum took two holding the stick penalties <laughs> yes, in five it, minutes. In five minutes, exactly. Uh, all right, so that's uh, that's Ray's game of the day, and uh, we'll try to keep doing that uh, as we as we go on here. All right, so uh, time for some emails, some tweets from our listeners. Thank you again from everybody, uh, as always. We appreciate it. Um, we got uh, some emails here. Let's go. Um, a uh, uh, question from Stephen Black. Uh, love the podcast. I think Ray eventually gets inducted into the Hall of Fame in two categories, as a player and as a broadcaster. Oh. Yeah, uh, no, not uh, as a player. I'm not going to hold my. Uh, I'm not going to hold my uh, uh, breath. My breath on the on the player stuff. That's uh, and as for the broadcasting, I don't even know how that works. Look, yeah. I. I like what I do, and I work really hard at it. And there's some days that seem harder than others, and um, like any job. But I'm lucky to do what I do. If somebody else thinks I do a good job at it, that's that's awesome. Uh, he goes on to say, "I love watching live hockey with a friend, but I hate being blasted by loud music and marketing between whistles. The ruckus between plays kills all conversation of the person sitting next to me. I can't stand it." And I don't know if I feel as strongly as Stephen, but I do agree. It is nuts. Um, Stephen says, can you tell us which are, which NHL buildings are the least artificially pumped and which buildings are the worst for blasting fans with loud garbage all the time? Well, you, I'll you tell you this. Yeah. Uh, 
really good point because Montreal has decided this year to can a lot of the music oh. um, that they play and bring the tone down because just basically for what he said. Wow. And and I think there is, you know, teams look for a, um, you know, a balance between, you know, having lively music and entertainment and and it being definitely quiet. Yep. But I do know when I go to a game, it I like to sit and chat with, you know, whoever I've gone to the game with, whether it's the kids or Cammy or Buddy mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. And I don't want to yell all the time. It actually gets quieter. I'm waiting for the puck to drop so it gets quieter. Yeah. Yeah, Vegas is bad, man. Like, it's you're just like, holy smokes. But I, see, I think in some cases they don't need, not just Vegas, but they don't yep. need to do that. Like, the atmosphere will be good enough. I don't, I, yep. maybe they don't trust it. I don't, I don't know. Yep. That would be what the marketers search and look for, and if and if enough people are like Stephen, then they'll you know they'll make a change. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, another email says that he enjoys the podcast, but the host's nasal clearing is disgusting. A cold or a cocaine problem? Oh, okay, thanks. I don't know. When do you clear your nose? I don't really feel like I do, but apparently, apparently, maybe I do. Um, all right, okay. Well, you know, yeah. you better you better take some medicine and lose the cold. Yeah, I think I'll be all right. Okay, so a few more questions here. Uh, one from uh, Bring on the Hockey Stuff. Uh, is skim milk real milk or just white water? It's white water. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I right? don't. Uh, I've I've shifted to almond milk, and um, so yeah. I don't drink milk or you know yeah. per se. But the skim milk thing, it it is. It's got like a blue tint to it or something or other. Yeah, I don't drink it either. I'm all, I'm an almond milk guy also. Very yeah, rarely. I, now, I, I think he's on to something there that it's not really milk. It's just putting a milk carton. <laughs> uh, I am uh, I am CMAC14 says, what did Ray see from ice level when Marner hit Tavares for the tap-in? His reaction on air was great. Like, well before the pass and goal, I, I think he was kind of shocked at how Marner froze everyone. Yeah, I laughed, actually. Yeah. And sometimes, and I mentioned this in this article we referenced earlier with Bruce Arthur, that sometimes I something will catch me by surprise and I... I laugh or go, oh, and I'm, I'm like, man, I hope nobody heard that. Come through, right, right. Except yeah. I'm on a mic. Of course yeah. they heard it. Yeah. Um, but Marner had it, and not only did he freeze everybody, but he was looking in one direction, and as soon as he turned to pass it, yeah. like there was no way, unless he missed the pass, he got it into Tavares's feet or something, mm-hmm. that it was not going to be a goal. Like it was an amazing play. And, you know, like I've compared him to a right-handed Patrick Kane. Yeah. You know, with that same elusivity. And there are times when Kane's got the puck and he gets, he looks like he's going to shoot it and then he zips it right across the ice. And you're like, A, how did he know the guy was there? B, how did he get it through all those six sticks? And C, he put it right where it had to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I love that stuff. Kuznetsov has uh, had one at Vegas against Vegas last night. Oh, like that. his the pass ha- to Ovechkin. Oh yeah, it was just phenomenal. Okay, so now in that play, if people haven't seen it, just you know, yeah. cue it up, and it's uh, Ovechkin's goal. Watch Ryan Carpenter. He's the guy back checking. He's in perfect position, mm-hmm. but his stick is in the air. Mm-hmm. If his stick's on the ice, maybe he's got a chance to deflect it away. And that would be when, they, when people wonder what a coaches show all the time in video, that's what they would show them. Yeah. Really good job, but put your stick on the ice and you'll deflect the puck away. Yeah. Uh, Winnipeg Leafs fan says, predict the salaries for Marner, Nylander, and Matthews. 
predict them. Oh, boy. Uh, Nylander, 6-3. Marner. Oh, Marner's tough. Uh, you know that yeah, yeah. Dubas almost should have got these guys. Nine. Really? Really? And Matthews, 13. Really? Okay. Why? What do you think? Um, I think Nylander's higher. They'd like to get him at 6'3", but Nylander's higher. I think Marner is lower, and I think Matthews... Now, see, now you're just hoping. Yeah, I guess. You're right. <laughs> just being a Leaf fan, right? Now, just just think <laughs> of this. What happens if Matthews gets to July 1st, which would be a, a pretty iffy thing to do mm-hmm. if you're Toronto, and some team drops a four-year... $15 million offer sheet on him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, they have to match. I just don't know how they can. Okay, or, so you have yeah, to match, yeah, and then you have, you have to start turning around to trade everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... it's, uh, so it's I mean, there, it's a... You know, it's a really, really complicated what? issue they have to have. And, of course, they'll have salaries coming off the books, and, you know, Patrick Marlowe's got one more year left at $6 million. That'll come off the books. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking about multi-millions of dollars. I mean, does that mean Kadri has to go? Oh, I mean, Gardner. What do you do with Jake Gardner? Yeah. And so, if, you know, the people that say, we'll just let him walk. Okay, so now you're assuming Travis Dermott can fill that spot, and maybe he can. I don't know. I really like Dermott a lot. But say Dermott does. Now you've got to fill your third pair of guys, and you you got to find them mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Maybe they've got them in-house. I don't know. Maybe Timothy Lilgren will be ready. But it's not as easy as just moving players' names around. Doug Grant says, wouldn't it be interesting if instead of the usual postgame questions with a player, the refs had to answer questions about calls they made or missed? Uh, NFL does this. They have a sort of a pool reporter that will we'll get some quotes from the head F, uh, referee about some certain things. And what do you think about that? I'd like to see a pool reporter talk to the official. I don't. You can't bring an official into a mass press conference. No. It would be a gong show. <laughs> right. But if he gets a couple of questions, then so basically what the pool reporter does is listen. You know, he solicits questions from the other media members that are sitting up there in the press box, and then he kind of sorts through the ones that he thinks are the best and goes and presents a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball does it too. They should. They should have interviewed oh. that Angel Hernandez oh, the other night doing the Red Sox game. Hell, I couldn't have been worse. He, he's unbelievable. I mean, I've I've watched a lot of baseball with that guy. He's unbelievable. Well, not but so they reviewed I think four calls right mm-hmm. at first base, and yes, they were tight. They were close calls. Yep. But he got three of them wrong. Yeah. Including one that my eight-year-old said <laughs> that call's wrong. <laughs> He wasn't even watching. And even he his, just looked up and went, "No, he's that's wrong." Even as he tosses people all the time, he balls and strikes are terrible. He's just he's terrible. You know, he's suing the Major League Baseball, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't think this last day, this last two days of the playoffs, helped this case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Maritime mogul says, uh, "Where do you believe you'd be today if it wasn't for hockey?" Oh, I think I would have been a school teacher. In trail. Uh. Yeah, I don't think I would have ever left. Right. You know, I was I loved living in a small town. I don't imagine I would have been uh exploratory enough to go to another city, although when I went away to go to college, maybe I would have liked that city or mm-hmm. 
met met a girl that I would have married that lived in a different place. I but my my vision is that I would have I, w- I would have taught. I would have been a teacher. Uh, stick technology at at Bump MX. Stick technology technique versus goalie gear technique. Who has made the biggest gains over the last twenty five years? Oh, I say that's a really good question. I'd say the goalie gear, really, um, because there's more you can do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the stick, you can change, like the technology part, you can change the kick point, like where the yep. flex is. You can change the amount of flex. You can change the blade to be stiffer or more whippy, and you can change mm-hmm. the curve. But goalie gear, you've got your pads, your uppers, the way that they hinge on their body, uh, the way that the gear itself moves, the way it protects. I would say the goalie gear in a neck-and-neck race. That's a good question. Yeah, I will say I had a garbage shot when I played as a kid, and I took a long time off and started playing again, and I got one of the new composite sticks, and my shot all of a sudden seriously was better. Like, I'm like, oh, there's no question. I'm just like, like, I mean, I'm garbage. If you swing a steel-shafted golf club. Yeah. And then get one of the new ones, you're like, oh, my yeah. God, they're completely different. Things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tommy Grant says, would Ray ever take a pay cut to have won a Stanley Cup? I know he says no, but seriously. Um, what I, like how it, much? Well, yeah, I don't know, right? Would you, like, you know, later you're asking, in, would I take 10 grand less? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, I... I don't know. I'm not going to take half the money. Would you? To, would you have done? I mean, the, I got to live. Yeah. Would you have done the late veteran NHL minimum to join? Let's see. Back then, it would have been the Red Wings or something like that. You know, would you have done? As opposed some, to playing in Atlanta. Yes. Yeah, probably. As it turned out, I had to give half away anyway. So. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So half of seven hundred thousand would have been a lot better, right? Yeah. You know. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> Good one. Uh, all right. Okay. So Joe ninety one says. Uh, uh, yesterday was World Mental Health Day. Ray mentioned one time either on here or on this podcast or the radio that it's concussion history. It sometimes brings up some depression. I don't remember you saying that on here, but perhaps. Yep. Uh, I was wondering if Ray could share some tips he uses to take care of himself during that time. Well, and, and the problem was, um, now, I was lucky. The depression that I felt was so minor in compared to what we hear other players and people deal with. So for me, it's a... It's a really low feeling that I can't seem to dig my way out of. I can't find any energy. I feel really lethargic. In the last four or five months, a friend of mine introduced me to some meditation. And so I've started to learn to meditate 10 or 15 minutes a day. It's, I found it to be amazing. It's a, I find myself uplifted, cleansed a little bit, um, because a lot of times people can tell you things are okay and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really register. Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I'm lucky. I know I've had a great career. I know I got a beautiful wife and great kids. I know I see all that, but I feel like shit. And it's a terrible, terrible place to be. And so I've found the meditation has really helped me. And I wish I would have touched upon it earlier in my life because it's it's opened up a, a whole new way of of kind of recalibrating myself i really like it a lot jared brown says the jack adam has become the award where the broadcasters say sorry we're wrong you defied all expectations here's the award has it always been like this why is it like this and is there a better way to measure a coach's contribution than the team success than the whoops we were wrong <laughs> well got a point yeah. In, in a way, but I mean, yeah. so 
Toronto's one of the best teams in the league this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Pittsburgh's one of the, should be one of the best teams in the league, although with Matt Murray's concussion, who knows, right? They might not be able to um, to overcome a loss like that in goal if he's out for um, for yeah, any long for term. Yep. Uh, I suspect San Jose is going to be really good by by the end of it all. Those coaches aren't going to win the coach of the year because they're supposed to be good teams. And so the view is that those coaches are just coaching to the level that they're supposed to. It always seems like a coach that takes an underdog team or a team with low to no expectations and and they succeed, it always seems like he must have done a good job. Because you're not mm-hmm. in there day to day. You know, if if Carolina makes the playoffs for the first time in forever, I would say Rod Brindamore has probably done a really good job with that team. If the Edmonton Oilers make the playoffs again, I would say Todd McClellan would probably get some votes. The negative would be, oh, he's got Connor McDavid. Yeah, but they missed the playoffs yeah. seven out of eight years, so he must have done a good job. That's why, as he refers to it, the oops, we got it wrong. I, I think that's probably why those coaches get get more of the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Stripe says, uh, Ray, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Ian says, have, when you played in Hartford, did they ever actually take you whaling? <laughs> no, no whaling. Um, Never been out uh Never been out in Vancouver either going whale watching. You never done the whale watching thing? I've nope, done and that. I and I really need to. You do. It's really cool. Um when I the closest in- I got to a whale was Pucky the whale. <laughs> uh James Duffy, are you familiar with this gentleman at all? Oh sometimes. Uh how was your travel day Tuesday? <laughs> oh funny. So here's the deal. Those prima donnas that are in studio, they leave their house, they get in their car, and they drive to the studio. Sometimes they get stuck in traffic, and it takes them an extra 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I had a game in Dallas on Tuesday. So, Monday night, Monday afternoon, I go to the airport to fly to Dallas. Yeah. I'm there for a couple hours, flight gets cancelled. Oh. Sucks. Air Canada? This was Air Canada. Yep. Mechanical problem, Next, the next flight is the next day. So I'm like, well, that's going to stink because yeah. the next flight's at 1 o'clock. I'm going to miss the game. So I get on, I get with our travel people, and I get the next morning, 7 a.m., an American Airlines flight. Yeah. So I drive back 45 minutes from the airport, home, spend the night at home, get up at 4 in the morning, drive back to the airport, mm-hmm. get to the airport, I'm getting. I'm in line at Starbucks, and I get an alert on my phone. American Airlines flight, whatever, has been canceled. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm like, well, this really sucks. So, turns out the weather was terrible in Dallas in the morning. So now they've rebooked me on a flight that's way too late. So that's not even an option. So I get on with our travel people again, who are by now rather sick of me, and we come up with an Air Air Canada to Denver to connect to a United to mm-hmm. Dallas. Yeah. I got to Dallas at 6 o'clock. Oh, wow. Really, huh? And the game was at yeah, 7.30. Yeah. So while James enjoys that he was just nice and cozy at home, he enjoys the anguish. Yeah. Because there's, if you've traveled a lot, you know there's a certain point where you're like, there is nothing else I can do. Yeah. I can't make the plane get there. I'm surprised you couldn't take something later that night 
maybe not Air Canada, but something that well, night. Well, there was a flight. Yeah. There was one option. Would have been later that night to fly to Toronto. Oh, geez. Yeah, you don't do that. All right. I'm already out. Like, I'm already yeah. out. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go right. way over there, Yeah. land at 2 in the morning, yep. stay in a hotel for three hours, and then fly all the way back down to Dallas. Yeah. I'm like, that's not happening. Yeah. As so that's why I ended up what it was. So I'm glad James enjoyed it. Six o'clock. Uh, it's not. It's pretty far from to reunion. From is that what they call it? No. What do they call it? Uh, no. This is uh, American Airlines. American I got to the rink at six thirty. Oh, you did. Okay, I was going to say traffic yeah. and all that. Which test. is great. Warm up was at seven. Right. Actually, if I knew I could make it on time all the time, that would be the way to go. <laughs> it would be. Uh, unfortunately, you always are going where the time advances as you fly. Like you're never. Yeah, going. there's there's but, no help coming that way. Uh, Kyle Water says, "Did Ray ever have a situation of a player he played with who was upset with the team he was on, who wanted out and caused issues to get his trade? How did the other players react to the outcome?" And he points out, right now, Jimmy Butler, Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, is not happy and wants out and, and is causing a scene. Yeah, nowhere, uh, Steve, nowhere like that yeah. where it was so public and and so bitter. Um, when I got traded to the Islanders, uh, both Pat Lafontaine and Brent Sutter wanted to be traded. And I assume not because I was coming, but yeah. uh, I, I'm assuming it was beforehand. So everybody knew that they were that they wanted to be traded and that they were going to be traded in all likelihood. But they both kept it to themselves. They didn't. But we all knew that they wanted to. Yeah. Go. Hockey players aren't that type of people to make waves. Yeah, to, and yeah. you know the other thing is it's a different time. I mean. Yeah. Maybe today it would be different. Uh, which coach had the most influence on your development as a youth hockey player and why? Uh, two of them. Uh, one was my, my peewee and bantam coach, uh, a guy named Terry Campo that played some pro hockey but came back. I thought he was this old guy coaching us. We, you know, we were 12 and 13 yeah, yeah. and 14. He was 27. <laughs> yeah. But Terry was, was a terrific coach. I learned a lot from him. And then when I got to junior into junior a in penticton uh, i had a coach named mark pezen and uh mark was really helpful uh i yes development wise but also in getting me to believe about in myself because i you know as i said i came from a real small place and wasn't really sure where i fit in the world of things and he was he was really really helpful you didn't really think that you could really make the nhl you were like well i can't i don't know i'm like i don't know (laughs) maybe (laughs) i've scored lots of goals wherever i've been but holy crap these guys are good uh kenny collins says what was it like to play with and against the o-dog you never played with them but against the o-dog yeah never played with them um never played oh much um, he tells a story about his first year where there was a scrum and you were chirping, I, right? Yeah, I chirped him about being fat, but <laughs> I didn't even really know him. He just had a round face. He was a kid. He was 18 years old. Yeah. Oh, could shoot the puck as much as like he'll talk a little bit about his career and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know that he could play, but he could shoot. He didn't need many chances to score. Uh, Dale Hunter's helmet. Which former player and media wildcard will have the longer hockey media career, Jeff O'Neill or Jeremy Roenick? Well, I mean, Jeff's playing catch-up. Yeah. I mean, J, you know, Jr. has his own way of doing things, and O has his own way of doing things. They'll both work as long as they want to work. They're both very, very good. Right. Like Jr. is crazy. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I, you know, last year he's jumping in the Hudson River for a polar bear swim on July first, and. He's- 
you know, he does all kinds of crazy things, and his personality is perfect for it, and he buys into it all, yep. and he sells it. Which and is that's part of that's the game. half the battle right there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Josh, a Zamboni guy, did you ever have a chance to sign with or get traded to Vancouver at all? No, I would have jumped on it in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, late in my career, I wanted to come back. Well, a lot of my career, I wanted to come back to Vancouver and play, but especially later. And they had Cliff Ronning, and in those days, you weren't going to take two centermen. Cliff's five, six and a half, yeah. and I'm five, eight and a half. I mean, they weren't going to take two centers like that. And Cliff was doing well there, so it didn't work. Uh, all right, uh, Mike DeCobb says, not counting famous hockey players, what was your most favorite? What was your favorite or, or most memorable celebrity encounter? You must have met some people in L.A. a lot, right? No, not really. Um, I actually, you know, because I, I was a homebody, right? So I wasn't out in L.A. doing a bunch of things. Um, you know, back in the day with the Rangers, like Tim Robbins, who was big at that time, and Susan Sarandon were big Rangers fans, so I met mm-hmm. them, and, you know, they were that was kind of cool. That was yeah. just off of, after Bull Durham, and which was one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't, not really, uh, what about, not really a whole lot, unless I'm forgetting something, but what about now? if I'm forgetting it, it wasn't that memorable. Uh, what about now? Have you met some golfers? Have you done like done any like in TSN days? No, I mean, no, not really. Okay. Um, no, right. I don't, I don't right. think, I mean, hell, I'm in the rink. I meet Cuthbert and Miller half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And who are those guys? Uh, one day I was down in LA walking around the tar pits with my wife. La Brea Tar Pits. And, oh, uh, that's from Bugs Bunny fame. Oh, it is? Oh, oh I, yeah. I don't that's that. right. Take a left turn at the La Brea Tar Pits. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So it's actually right downtown L.A., right? Yeah. And, uh, and my wife is like, hey, keep an eye open for celebrities. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, this is my wife thing, right? And so we're down there. There's a Peterson Car Museum, the La Brea Tar Pits. We're kind of just hanging out, doing a little bit of a tourist thing, even though we lived there at the time. And uh, I'm like, okay, whatever. Keep an eye on celebrities. We literally bump into Matthew Perry, like, coming down the street. He had, he had Chuck Taylors on with no shoelaces, and he looked rather homeless-looking. The guy from Friends. And oh, yeah. he was just by himself. How weird is that? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you walk by people, but, I mean, like, did you say anything? Or? Yeah. Yeah. We, we, my wife freaked out, got a photo, said hi. Okay. Yeah, all that. So, uh, All right. Ryan Drury says, uh, Ray, you famously told a story on the pod about an altercation you had with Bradshaw at practice, and then you had dinner with him and Mary that yeah. night. It's a great story. Uh, Brad is my cousin, and I just wondered what he was like as a teammate and what you think of him as a coach. Brad was outstanding teammate um brad brad is like he's level all the time like he his emotions rarely got got the best of him which was completely unlike me um he was (laughs) smart and you know and smart about the game um just a really really good guy and as a coach um, I've been surprised that he's only been a head coach just a very little bit. Mm-hmm. He was the interim coach in, with the Islanders. Um, I, I, I watched him present at a coaches conference last summer, and it was awesome. I'm like, man, he's looking at things that I don't see. Yeah, that's really it. Was really cool. He has got a tremendous reputation uh, in the coaching community, both in St. Louis, where he spent a lot of years, and now in Columbus. Perfect. All right. That's a wrap this week. Uh, good luck. Uh, not good luck. Have fun in Detroit. Uh, call in the game. We'll do that. And um, 
hopefully it's as entertaining as the Dallas game, and then oh, we'll yeah. pop back home and we'll get on next week. But thanks, everybody, for the questions. That's awesome. And uh, keep them coming, and we'll get back on next week. Thanks to Butchie, uh, John Butchergross, for popping on in the show. We'll have another guest next week. Perfect. Thanks, Ray. See ya. See ya, Steve.